Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Courtside with Neil from Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm super fired up for this guest, as tonight we're going to look a little different angle from the topics we have discussed previously. However, when we get into the teaching, coaching aspect of our discussion, you will hear us talk about similar themes that I've discussed with other guests. The guest that we have on with us tonight is the current national manager and head coach of USA Wheelchair Tennis. Please welcome to the pod, Jason Harnett. Jason, thanks for uh, spending time tonight and walking us through your very interesting journey. Thank you, David, for having me. I appreciate you having us on. It's always enjoyable. Thank you. So I, I guess we'll start. You know, I gave the little intro on you. You know, I, as children, we're all asked of, of what we want to be when we grow up. And, you know, some will say an astronaut, some will say a professional basketball player, some will say a professional tennis player. Um, as we kind of go through your childhood and, and high school and college, um, you know, uh, I'm sure tennis will was probably in somehow in that equation with you growing up. But I'm guessing that wheelchair tennis uh, never entered your mind. And... With that being said, why don't you kind of go ahead, tell us how you got involved with the sport of tennis and eventually um, evolving into teaching and then coaching wheelchair tennis. Great. Yeah, it's an interesting journey, you know, and I've said it before that, you know, everybody knows their own story quite well, but, um, you know, when you talk about your own, um, you know, I grew up early years, I would say I grew up in Chicago until I was about seven years old uh, and then moved to Southern California. And I remember my dad talking about trying to get his kids out of the snow and get, you know, growing up outdoors and not being indoor kids like he was growing up. You're making me very jealous right now because it's uh, dead of winter in Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I've got family there. I know what Chicago's like right now. Uh, But it's funny, you know, being a football player, you want us to be athletes and you want us to do things. We have three boys in our family. My brother, older brother Pat, you know, played tennis at the University of Virginia. And my younger brother Dan, who was a football player and wrestler, California, but tennis, my dad just loved tennis, and he said, you know what, I don't want you guys getting beat up playing football, you're not big guys, um, so better fit uh, in a sport, to, not to sound like a USTA punchline, but you know, it's a sport for a lifetime, and you guys can play a very long time, and uh, he wasn't good at it, but he got us started, and I remember specifically when we moved to California, how he was, he was in Toronto with Big Brain. You know, I remember I was going out to the Big Brain Tennis College, which is ironic because I ended up working there uh, in the mid-90s for a year. Um, but he, he wanted to play tennis, and you know, it was a weather-conducive sport in Southern California. And of course, as we got better and started playing more and more, you start aspiring to play at higher levels. Uh, and my older brother and I really played through all the junior tennis stuff. And, you know, I think, you know, well, as I said, I went to college, played at the University of Washington uh, back in the 90s, and then I came back to California and started working. But before that, you know, a big question that people always ask me about how I got involved in wheelchair tennis. How did I, you know, how was I introduced to it? And we belonged at a club called the Racquet Club of Irvine in Orange County, uh, probably when I was 12 years old. And... I, I would say we stayed at that club probably through high school. And I remember specifically in the mid-'80s, uh, you know, every year come late summer, uh, they hosted the U.S. Open for wheelchair tennis and World Team Cup, which was essentially the Davis Cup and Fed Cup event for wheelchair tennis um, starting in 1985, I believe. And all we ever heard about 
you know, at that time, I just remember specifically as a 12-year-old, remember hearing the name, you've got to see this guy Brad Parks play, and you've got to see this guy Randy Snow play, um, and that these two are the superstars of the sport, and they're both Americans, uh, and, and little did I know that Brad was the founder of the sport, and he lived in San Clemente, which is just south of where we lived, uh, but I remember distinctly seeing, you know, hundreds of people in, in chairs you know, coming into our club every year. And that was, and that's, I'm going to say shocking, but it was just, it was a, an image that would stick with you your whole life. Um, and again, little what I, you know, little that I know how involved that would become later. But so, you know, you get on with your life. Like I said, you go to college, play college, come back. You know, you're trying to make a decision whether you go to grad school, uh, try and play some professional tennis. Uh, and I remember then in 1996, I graduated in 94, but in 96, I took a position at the Vic Braden Tennis College in Cota de Casa, California, just for about a year. And I remember Vic asked me to, you know, help out a couple local players setting up a ball machine and so forth. And and that's when uh, I told him, I said, I, you know what, I have um, seen Worcester Tennis before. I remember seeing it as a young kid, and I remember watching year after year these players play. So he said, hey, that's great. These two guys are both in chairs, and they're great guys, and you can help them out. Uh, it was then I was introduced to another gentleman named Butch Young, who was an old voluntary coach, and uh, he was working at the city next door to us, and uh, we somehow met through an exhibition that we did together, and he asked me to come over and teach with him, and I, and I said yes, and um, you know he needed me to hit with some of the younger players and young pros that he was working with, but specifically, he asked me if I would help him start a clinic uh, for wheelchair tennis on Thursday nights. And I told him, I said, absolutely. I said, that would be fantastic. So from there, you know, I worked in the city. It was the city of Mission Viejo, which is again in South Orange County. Uh, together, we ran that clinic for 14 years. Um, and it really, that, it was just a couple of years later in 1998 that the USTA got on board and, um, you know, took over the national governing body job of running wheelchair tennis away from the National Foundation for Wheelchair Tennis, which was run by Brad Parks and his wife, Wendy. Uh, and that was just basically handing it off. It was just uh, they needed a little bit more help at that time, so the USJ took over, but they were looking for national coaches, and that's where you know I applied for that, and I saw an opportunity you know, maybe to travel a little bit as a young guy and, and uh, you know, get more involved. Uh, but that's when I knew, because you know, at that time, Butch Young, the same coach I just told you about, was working with Steve Johnson Sr., uh, Rance Brown, who's the UCLA women's coach, uh, a couple of the local uh, named coaches and running you know, the high-performance centers in Southern California. And they'd asked me if there's something that I would be interested in getting on that track, kind of like they were. And I just remember distinctly saying, well, if I did that, you know, that would pull me away from what I'm really becoming engaged in a wheelchair tennis and, and I really wouldn't have the time to do both. Right. So I really did come to a, come to a fork in the road and say, what am I going to do here? Am I going to stay on the able-bodied track? And then I knew I had to make a living, so I had to keep teaching. But I had to make a decision how, you know, how deep I was going to get into wheelchair tennis. I remember saying, you know what, I'm staying with it. I'm not, I'm not giving up on this track, and it's, the sport looks like it's moving in the right direction, and all the right governing bodies are getting engaged now, and um, maybe it's a good time to be a part of it. So that's where it began. Yeah, and and obviously it, it worked out well um, for you. I, I want to kind of talk about we we during prep we talked about um, you know it's not you standing at a baseline or service line just feeding balls to these people standing up. 
um, you actually put yourself in a chair and you teach you know younger pros to do the same thing too. Um, the reason for doing that is obviously when you're when you're standing and feeding, the angle and trajectory of the ball is not realistic as if it were coming from an opponent also in a wheelchair. Um, That's right. So you you did things like that. Uh, I guess my question for you is. How did you educate yourself? There weren't a lot of books or anything on this. So how did you kind of educate yourself? I, I'm assuming you just learned from your students and what it's like. And then you tried to put yourself in that situation as much as you could, obviously. Um, and then the other question that's kind of related to that is, what does your student population look like? Are these mostly juniors, uh, you know, 10 to 18-year-old kids, or is it mostly adults? Able body tennis, such as not being able to move laterally, 
and not being able to jump. So those two things are huge in able-bodied tennis. What did take those away? You know, it's tough. Yeah, I, I my question is, did one of your students say, "Hey, you know, try to get in a chair and see what this is like," or yeah. did you unilaterally do that? I think it's unilateral. I mean, you both want it, right? I think I wanted to do it. I don't think I felt like I could coach well if I didn't do it. Okay. And so, and I know they were anxious to see if I was willing to do it, right? That's another component. You get, you know, they get. We have coaches, and you know, who there are egos out there to say, you know what? I don't want to look foolish. It's kind of like when we try and get some of our ATP pros, WTA pros, to jump in a chair uh, at a professional event to, to do an exhibition or something. Right. And most say no. <laughs> and not that they don't want to try it. I just think there's the desire not to look foolish. Right. And it's so nice to have seen Novak Djokovic. Uh, I don't know if, uh, if Roger's done it, but I think Rafa's done it, where they're able to jump in a chair, and those guys are supremely confident. They don't really I don't mind how they appear, but... Um, but yeah, getting in a chair is um, something you have to overcome, and I know the athletes really appreciate it when you do it. For sure. They, you're, you're making an attempt to learn more about their world. Yes. And so there is a benefit to, you know, to buying the trust, you know, getting the trust of your players by actually doing it and being and looking a little bit silly at the beginning until you really learn how to do it. And now when you train younger, sorry, when you train younger coaches now, I mean, is that one of the first steps? Like you got to be like, forget feeding on your feet. Like let's get the pros in the chair and just start from there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's not an immersion. We, we completely reconstructed a coaching development workshop for the USTA and the USPTA. And, and that was really our goal coming in that we knew coaches – was one of the great weaknesses of wheelchair tennis right now. There just isn't enough interest. Um, and I'll say, you know, you can't really make a living teaching wheelchair tennis exclusively. It's more of a supplement to what you do. And I've always said it's like a, it's a great menu option. Uh, and when you look at the programming at your club, is to add, you know, wheelchair tennis. Right. Um, and so when we do these workshops, and I really enjoy them because they're either a day or a day and a half long workshop. And I think we've uh, accredited over 150 new coaches in the past two and a half years, which is for us is an absolutely enormous number of coaches and interest that we've had in coming to these workshops. Um, and what we do is we start with some classroom work where we really go over terminology, the history of the sport, which most people have no idea, you know, when the sport started, where it started. Uh, are, are the Grand Slams involved in the Paralympic Games? What are those? What's World Team Cup? All these major events in Richard Tennis. Uh, and so it gives us an opportunity to educate. And then halfway through the event, we do uh, the workshop. We get back on court with these coaches and we get them in chairs. We run them through drills. We, we will look to see if they can actually run drills with people in chairs. And then a really important component that we know is if you're never going to be really uh, your aptitude in a chair is never going to be strong enough for, say, an intermediate-level wheelchair you know, tennis player, then you need to learn how to hit with someone in a chair on your feet. And I think you mentioned it earlier, talking about trajectory and speed and spin and, uh, you know, when do I take a ball? And some of you may not know that the only rule change or adaptation has been a second bounce. And that's if you need it. It's not all the time. You can take it on one bounce, you can take it out of the air, or you have a second bounce. And I think for able-bodied coaches, if you're going to hit with someone in a chair, you really have to know, you know, how to do it correctly. Because if I stand right on top of the baseline and take balls on the rise and take everything on one bounce, 
what that's going to do to the athlete is they're going to be way too hurried. Everything's going to be too fast. And what we, what we tend to teach our coaches is like, look, you're going to want to stand five or six feet behind the baseline uh, and learn, you know, through attrition and through, you know, your athlete telling you when to take the ball in two bounces. So the speed is more, you know, mimicking what they would see, say, in tournament play. And that's really hard at the beginning because yeah. <laughs> your instincts are your instincts are to take everything early. And another part is we teach them how to walk the mobility patterns, right? And you never run after balls because no one's ever going to push a wheelchair faster or as fast as you can run on your feet. Right. So we teach them how to walk fast and walk the actual patterns, and that really does help. And it also reinforces their understanding of, of what the actual wheelchair mobility patterns look like and feel like, even though they're not in a chair. Yeah, so I mean, it's a really important component to that that workshop. For, oh, absolutely! It's almost re, it's kind of reprogramming their brains a little bit too, because mm-hmm. especially if they've taught tennis, um, you know, how many years before and played how many, That's you know. Correct. So totally different world. Um, I guess um, I, don't, I don't know if, you, if you've touched on this before, um, earlier. I apologize. But I just want to touch on the student body, the student population. Sure. Is, it, is it pretty much juniors? Or are they adults? Is the junior program growing in that kids say, you know, hey, I may have this disability, but look, this, there's wheelchair, this wheelchair tennis, this is the real deal. And they got national, they got international events. Like this is something that yeah. we can all do here. You know, it's funny, when I came into this position, I've been on the, the national coaching staff since 1998, so it's been a long time. And so coming into the you know, the USTA national manager and head coach position, I, you know, I really got a good, we basically did an audit, essentially, of the entire department. And, and so we, we, of course, look at numbers. I know everybody knows the USTA looks at, looks at growing the game, and we're looking at numbers in our department and how we're going to grow it. And it just so happened, you know, as we came in, that generation was a big part of it. And so, as you were saying, the kids' population is relatively small, very small, actually. And I know we lose a lot of athletes, young children, to wheelchair basketball and other wheelchair sports early because, you know, rehabilitation hospitals for kids do a really good job at getting kids into chairs in team sports right away. And a lot of that's because of the social aspect you know, getting these kids back into life via friendships and camaraderie and all that stuff. And basketball's really good at it. And so we knew we needed to have a stopgap because the rest, most of the population of wheelchair tennis players is really young adults to 70-year-olds. It's kind of the same demographic, I would say, mostly of adult tennis at the USDA and in the country. And so our impact, we feel, is going to be long-term by growing the base and getting more children involved. Uh, again, talking about a sport of a lifetime. And, and as we came in, that generation from the USA was being pushed. And we knew that we needed to be a part of that. Um, because it really is a, a, it really is a very good curricular for especially non-tennis people. And so I'm kind of segueing into showing you how, uh, you know, I'd say physical therapists, occupational therapists, recreational therapists specifically, really are important for us. Yeah. Because those are the folks that have the first touch, you know, on the kids when they're coming out of the hospital. Right. If, if they're, you know, in the hospital for any reason, even young adults. And we need them to be advocates and ambassadors for us in tennis. Uh, otherwise, again, basketball is kind of that stopgap and tennis to grab the kids. So no, that's a very, very good point, Jason. Yeah, that's a very good point. you got to educate them to let them tell 
these people that, hey, wheelchair tennis is an option. If they don't know about it, they're not going to say anything. Um, that's correct. And so we look at, yeah, that's absolutely right. It has to be an option at the beginning. Right. It tends to be an option. Okay, the kid gets out of rehab six months, four months later, and they're on a basketball team already. Yeah. And then someone will suggest, why don't you try tennis? And now it's, you know, now we're going outside of the hospital setting and looking at local programming. And so the next layer is, you know, we need to bolster local programming around rehab hospitals. Right. So we have somewhere to direct these kids, right? And so that's all part of that generation and, you know, rewriting essentially the, the curriculum that is in place and adapting it specifically for wheelchair tennis, which we've done. Uh, my cohort, Jason Allen, did a great job on the community tennis side. Um, you know, basically adapting all the curricula for net generation, specifically for wheelchair. So if you are a net generation provider and you go on, and go on the app, uh, you're going to see there's actually a wheelchair version there. So that took a year. I mean, it took a long time to get that ready, uh, but it's up and running now. So, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to make sure that we, we really uh, nurture all age divisions, you know, whether you're kids coming out of rehab hospitals, uh, straight into high school tennis, and a huge push for us is collegiate tennis because we believe that collegiate wheelchair tennis, um, as we start to get some funding coming in, is going to be a draw away from wheelchair basketball. Or at least, like you said, giving them an option yep. to go, look, wheelchair basketball has, I think, 80 to 100 uh, grant slash scholarships available. So those kids basically play basketball so they get their colleges paid for. Well, wheelchair tennis right now, we're at two. Two official scholarships, both at the University of Alabama. Uh, there's other, you know, grant programs at a few of the other schools, but uh, it's just not a draw yet. And so that is a huge initiative for us to try and make sure those kids can play high school tennis on their able-bodied teams, which the, most of the kids do. Um, but then segue them to, you know, go to college and represent their college, say at collegiate nationals, which we host, you know, here in Orlando. So it's a, it's a massive landscape that we're trying to you know, impact to, to have a really clean pathway and bloodline, essentially from grassroots to Paralympic. Yeah. And so we saw, you know, college is a huge stop for us, so uh, we're trying to remedy all that. Yeah, but I mean, like like we said, I mean, as long as you keep going out to the hospitals and the rehabilitation clinics and educating them and giving it an option, I mean, you guys have a huge opportunity here to grow this. Um, yeah. And I think my, my question to you... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Jason. Well, I was just going to say another, another part of that, just to expand upon that, is the adaptive community. You know, there is an entire adaptive community out there that play wheelchair basketball, that do track, they swim, uh, they quad, quad rugby, another Paralympic sport. There's a whole community out there that is starving for a sport like tennis. So, like you said, like the rehab hospital is an option, but also for us going to conferences and getting to know uh, the entire adaptive community is really, really important long term. That we are an entity. They know the USTA is coming uh, specifically to these conferences to help, uh, not necessarily recruit athletes, but again, just show them there's an option with tennis. So, yeah, for uh, sure. So so cool. Um, I, I guess my question for you, and I'll ask it. I'll ask you your opinion on the other pros that that teach wheelchair tennis as well. I'm, I'm sure it's probably a case by case basis, but when for you did it? really click in your head that you're not teaching tennis to someone with a disability. Um, you're just teaching tennis to a different, in, uh, to a, to an individual in a different, in a different manner. I mean, you don't look at these kids or these adults with disabilities. You're just teaching tennis in a different type of way. Sure. Yeah. The teaching is, 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 is
teaching aspect is pretty, it's pretty much the same. You know, we're all teaching pros, we're all teachers. We, uh, uh, you know, we look at each individual differently. They learn differently. And we all know that. You know, the one aspect that I found was complicated at the beginning, especially with children. If there was, you know, if you had a child that was born with a disability, you know, there's the social struggle at school and, and being accepted and all that. Um, and then again, of course, talking with parents, you know, parents who have children with a disability, that's a different sort of norm than maybe we're used to and the struggles that come with that. Um, and so you really do, we always say as coaches, we work so many different hats, you know, we're counselors, we're, uh, we're mentors, we're you know, fatherly figures, motherly figures. If, you know, you're a female coach, it's just, we wear so many hats and this, adds a layer of complexity where uh, there's a level of compassion you got to have, especially for the kids. Uh, but again, you don't want to show uh, that you're not willing to be tough on them. Right. You know, uh, you just you're just helping them through, uh, you know, getting them to learn something to be good at something. Because that will help them connect with both family, friends, you know, schoolmates that they feel like you know, from a confidence standpoint, they can be good at something. So for us. You know, we have to make sure we take a, a real wholehearted interest in them and, and, and what tennis is going to end up being for them. And part of it is selling, uh, like we just talked about, you know, the pathway. Going, look, you're going to start at 8 or 10 years old, but you're going to play high school tennis. And after high school, there's going to be potential for you to play college tennis. And I can't tell you how many kids have said that's impossible. There is no such thing. And I said, that's not true. You know, it's been around 20 years, but it's now starting to gain momentum, and there's going to be an opportunity for you. So it's our job to, to look at these folks like anybody else. Yep. They're, they're people who just want to learn a sport and learn how to be good at it and, and take it as far as they can take it. And I can tell you, especially when you're dealing with the youngsters, what it does for the parents to know that these kids have somewhere to go, like they truly have a pathway, is really exciting for them. Because I know they're looking at life and saying, man, this is going to be a struggle. This is going to be a struggle for our whole lives. And for them to have a sense of normalcy and say, look, my kid's going to play on his high school tennis team. He's going to go to, uh, I don't know, UCLA and play on his collegiate wheelchair tennis team. And they're starting a program there. So there's all these opportunities that are coming these kids' way. And it is, it is our job as part of the coaching of these young people to not treat them differently and explain to them what their options are and, and all the exciting things they're going to be waiting for them. So, um, but it doesn't take long. Um, you know, like you said, I mean, at what point did it click? The reality is it clicked, I, I think, within uh, a, a couple of weeks of me settling down and understanding, you know, uh, that I'm in it for the long haul, you start to realize, like, it's just I'm on court with another person. And we're going to look at their situation and try and make any adaptations that we need to. And I'm going to listen to them and they're going to hopefully listen to me. And then together, you know, we're going to move forward with their game. So uh, it's, it's, it's no different, to be mm. honest. Very, very, uh, yeah. very, very inspiring what you just talked about. Very, very inspiring. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it gives, it's, like you said, it's not just the kids. It gives the parents a lot of hope, too. And you guys are making a... Uh, Tremendous impact on not only the kid but the family as well. You mentioned the the USTA a little bit, and I want to, if you don't mind, kind of talk about their role in all this. How many USTA wheelchair coaches do they have? Um, I know there's you know there's local events, there's sectional events, there's national events, there's even international events that you've been a part of. Kind of talk a little bit about um, the USTA's involvement with all this. 
in the USTA is huge, right? Um, uh, you know, that's who I work for. They employ me. Um, you know, we came in to the USTA three years, a little over three years ago here at the, in Orlando at the, at the national campus. And, you know, we are part of community tennis, um, which is really the largest department division of all the USTA. And we had made a conscious decision to try and split the department. And where the USTA really stepped up, um, and we were, I'm not going to say we were pushing it a little bit, but we decided with player development also being in Orlando that I was going to make the push to make the split and get the high-performance division uh, of wheelchair tennis over to player development under that umbrella. Because we knew with the resources that they have from a coaching potential, uh, you know, strength and conditioning, mental skills, physio work, uh, nutrition, all that stuff that is under that umbrella for the athletes, that's something that we wanted. And then, of course, the next generation on the community tennis side. So we knew the USTA, again, as our, that's our job, is working for the USTA, is to grow the sport. And they really have made the resources that we need available um, to be successful. And I think the, the, the best part about the campus, a lot of people ask about the national campus all the time, I said for us was the ability to collaborate with the other departments because it, it's always kind of felt like we were kind of in a bubble or on an island just kind of doing our own thing. And that really does slow growth there. But now, especially from a media standpoint, we're really getting a lot more coverage for our athletes, a lot more coverage of what we're doing. We're incorporated in all the coaching videos. Everything that's on the website will be asked to be a part of it. And that's never happened before. So the USTA has really stepped up. And, you know, from, you know, what is our job at the USTA? Honestly, on the grassroots side, it is sanctioning tournaments and getting out grassroots grants. And right now, I think we have 85 tournaments in the country. Wow. Uh, wheelchair specific, which is a lot. That's a lot. Uh, yeah. That's a lot. And, you know, throughout the 17 sections. And, and I think part of why we push for such growth was because, you know, the cost, you know, a lot of folks, you know, with disabilities, not, not everyone, but, but, but a lot, have fixed incomes. And so you have to be kind of, you know, you've got to be cognitive of the fact that a lot of these folks can't travel all over the country playing tournaments all the time. And so I remember back in the 80s and 90s, you know, they had maybe four or five major tournaments that most people attended. And I think that's why you saw 300 people at a tournament, because it was one of maybe three they were going to right. save their money to attend these things. And so we knew that we had to bring the tennis to the people. Uh, and that was going to be a better way of growing our numbers. And hence, you know, we're up to over, you know, 20 years, we're over 85 tournaments. Yeah. And so that just means people don't have to travel as far. They can do it on a weekend. It's just way more cost effective. And you can see our numbers are growing because of that. Another aspect that was important, this is our collaboration with the USPTA. Again, goes back to the leadership in tennis, which are coaches. And we've been able to, not certify, but go through our specialty course. Uh, you know, 150 coaches, which is, again, a massive number for wheelchair tennis. I mean, it's just been kind of dormant for many years, that whole certification, wheelchair certification, and we brought it back strong. Um, and it really had a nice partnership with the USPTA and getting it up and running. Um, but that was, um, you know, the number of tournaments that we have, the numbers are growing. Yeah, that's great. So I guess that that was you kind of answered my next question. I was going with for USPTA coaches. Um, is yeah. there a specific certification, or is it more of a pathway type of course that you need to take? Um, are there educational kits out there? Because again, as we talked about earlier, it's not just like you know 
you're standing on court from a service line or baseline and hitting cross court forehands all day. <laughs> No, that was that was the perfect clarification. I just wanted to make sure that there was something, not that you radically change all of your skill set, but there are some changes and some specific, uh, you know, skills that you need to do this. And if USTA and USPTA had some sort of resources to help, then and you answer that, and it yeah. definitely are. So yeah, we, um, we've created a USPTA for those of you who uh, go on tennisresources.com, which I believe is the USPTA source. Yeah. Jason, uh, what, what you and your team, you know, I, I, I can't stress this enough, what you and your team have done and continuing to, to do, tremendous, tremendous impact. And it's, uh, like I said earlier, it's very, very inspiring, and you should be very proud. Um, you know, when, when anyone goes through life, man, they, you know, they, it, whether it's their career, whatever it is, they, they want to make a difference. And uh, you guys are definitely making a difference in a lot of people's lives, and um Congratulations to you and your team, and Thank and you. keep building and keep doing great things, man. It's 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 awesome to hear. Uh, David, I appreciate you giving us a little bit of a platform to share, you know, a little part of our life and what we do. It's just it's still educational for a lot of folks, but you know, folks like yourself, you guys just do us a great service by 
helping us spread the word and, and just tell our story a little bit. So very much appreciate it. Oh, you're more than welcome. And again, feel you know if you don't mind, if if new developments come up, you're obviously welcome to. Uh, I'd love to have you on again if you ever want to spread the message on any exciting things that you're right. doing. Because uh, as we said, I think it's just really getting started here. Yeah, I, I could keep you another hour, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> There's a lot going on, and and I've said it, and, I, and I'll finish with: it's a great time to be a part of Paralympic sport. You know, it's just a great time to be a part of it because with every Paralympic Games, there's more and more marketing, more and more interest. And, you know, we really want to be at the forefront. You know, the USTA, what we do, we want to lead and we want to show the world that, you know, we're really trying to promote a sport that was born here in the United States, in Southern California. So we really want to make sure that it thrives and continues to survive the, the next, it's been around 43 years now. So we really want it to survive another hundred years so so great gatekeepers right now yeah so so great and i'll tell you we're all looking forward to seeing what you guys continue to do you guys do such great work so thank you very much jason and uh we'll talk soon all right thank you david take care thanks you too bye -bye. Bye. again that's jason harnett uh such a great great guy national manager and head coach of usa wheelchair tennis um hope you guys enjoyed that And again, reach out to Jason if you have any questions on wheelchair tennis. And as always, stay tuned for another guest coming up. Courtside Beans and Tennis, you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google. Thanks, everyone.